1: Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. My guest today is Luis Miguel Musi, and he is here today to cover the healthcare insurance translation segment of our industry. Luis has always been fascinated by different cultures, other languages, and the diversity that makes up our global marketplace. With a love of technology as well as a powerful entrepreneurial spirit, he sought to combine his interests in a company that reflects who he is, where he wants to go, and how he views the world. As the CEO of Avonpage Inc, Louis guided, nurtured and has overseen the growth of a remarkable organization. From its origins as a small startup in 1996, Avonpage has experienced exponential growth, emerging as an industry leader in a highly competitive market. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk, Louis.
2: Thank you, Sultan. It's a pleasure to come and to talk to somebody in the industry who we share values with.
1: Absolutely. It's a pleasure to have you over. And uh, we've been trying to coordinate this for a while. uh, Finally, it happened. But for those people in the industry who are listening now, but they haven't had the pleasure to to meet you in person or learn about you, can you give them an introduction and tell us what you do?
2: Absolutely. Um, Well, I look at myself in many different contexts, right? Because I'm, I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a CEO, I'm an immigrant. I'm a son, so there's a lot of different roles that I play uh, in in uh, in society. And here in terms of the industry of the translation localization industry, I see myself as somebody who is informed by my immigration experience. My family came over to Mexico about a hundred years ago from Lebanon. And uh, they settled in Mexico. They made a good life for themselves. Uh, we prospered, thank goodness. It's a very rich and very um, welcoming country. And when I was uh, a, young, a young boy, I had similar inclination to move on and I looked towards the United States uh, the Colossus to the north of Mexico, and I immigrated from Mexico to the United States. Uh, and in that process, I saw that, you know, I'm also very lucky because I come from a privileged background. My, comp- my My family did very well in Mexico. I got a very good education. And I saw that a lot of immigrants in the United States who did not have good education, good access to linguistic resources, were not doing very well. Right. And I committed to help those immigrants do a lot better in the United States by working within the language industry.
1: So let me ask you about that. Uh, how did you find yourself in, in this industry? Uh, uh, can you share a few words in terms of how you started out your translation work? What, what prompted you to, to get involved?
2: Absolutely. Um, well, as I mentioned, I, I came over to the United States, and uh, I actually uh, came to college uh, in Davis, which is where my company, Page is located. Right. And during that process uh, of being in college, I started taking a course in something called International Agricultural Development. And what that course, one of the things that it did is we traveled all around uh, California and we visited lots of different agricultural operations. And I saw firsthand the lives of migrants, primarily from Latin America, but also from many other countries and how poor their language skills were. And also how that limited their opportunities in Mexico, in the United States, and right. so I uh, actually acted as interpreter during this during this course because i I spoke fluent Spanish, and a lot of the other people in the course did not understand Spanish. So I started to establish a rapport with a lot of these immigrants, and I identified with them. And so that if they could only really have access to uh, some of the resources that I had by knowing and understanding the culture and the language, that their lives could be radically different. That informed my um, career choices as I moved out out of college. And in a circuitous way but eventually I ended up in the language industry and I've been here for about 30 years and love every single day of it.
1: Wow, Uh, you are truly a a veteran in this industry. Uh, Lewis, I want to hear from you about um, your experience in terms of uh, the major events, changes, evolutions, observations that stand out to you in this industry. What have you witnessed over the past 30 years that you've been in this industry? What things actually captured your your, um, attention and and you still think about?
2: That's a great question, Sultan. Um, This industry really is, I would say, uh, extremely giving to those of us who are in it, uh, in the sense that it is really been there and it's really growing and growing and growing and growing. You see it growing in so many different areas. In the area where we have chosen to operate, which is in helping immigrants within the United States who don't speak English well, there's many more immigrants now than there were before, and there are lots of businesses that uh, and other organizations that want to reach these groups of people. And so the number the the, the language access requirements that that include interpreting, translation, uh, accessibility, and things of that nature have just been growing very, very steadily. Of course, you see it also growing in terms of the globalization of the world, right? Because many companies now have websites that are in 20, 30, or even more languages because the markets have diversified. The United States economy was so dominant before the United States. The English was number one language in the world. Now, if you want to do really well, you have to really be looking at selling in China, selling in uh, Germany, selling in many other countries. So I see it as a really great place to be. Uh, it also tends to be a recession-proof, meaning that, as there's been dips and ebbs, ebbs and flows in, 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 in the world, the appetite for language services has continued to grow. And in many cases, as you well know, I'm sure we're going to get into this later on, uh, this is mandated through regulations and laws. And so even though there may be a dip in the economy, we have to provide these services to people because it's just the right thing to do because it's the just thing to do because it's what the government says that needs to be done. And so the demand just keeps growing, which I think is wonderful for us who are who are in the supply side of the of the equation. And then there's been a lot of different uh, developments in the world that I think also have influenced the industry. One, for example, I think of the incredible drop in cost for communications, right? When I was a student here, uh, until a number of years ago, uh, I used to, to pay four or five dollars a minute to call long-distance phone calls to Mexico. Of course, that has gone down to maybe a penny uh, a, a minute, if if not even less. Now we're talking real-time, you and I, and at practically zero cost with video calls calls to the Internet. So that has allowed the industry to really have people located in many different places and work simultaneously, you know, work together. So that's one area where I think has, has really impacted the industry, the fact that we can now talk to people all over the world for practically zero cost. The growth of the Internet and the web, of course, has also been very good for the industry. Again, it's allowed my company has offices in three different countries with people in more than three different countries. And we work seamlessly because we have an office in Mexico City, we have an office in California, we have an office in Europe in Poland. And because of the web, because of the internet, we're actually able to collaborate and work on the same files simultaneously, for example, right? So that really has been also a huge influence in terms of allowing the the companies like yours and mine to really be able to collaborate and work on things in a way that was never possible before. I mentioned globalization in another context, but I think that also has been really fantastic for the industry because it has opened up the 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 world the markets incredibly it also has allowed us to hire people in different countries and have a lot of things in common already because we share a lot of the same um, media a lot of the same values just because the fact that we are much more integrated in terms of the, the kinds of things that we read, the kinds of things that we are exposed to, the, the way we work, and so on. Uh, I mentioned briefly the fact that there's been lots of regulations. We work in uh, two highly regulated areas, healthcare in the United States as well as state and local government. Both of those areas tend to be highly regulated. It is because of those regulations that a lot of the demand for our services comes. And finally, I see that there's, in the computer, in the systems area, we have great growth in uh, the capabilities, the things that we can do. For example, the tools that we have at our disposal to work on The computer-aided translation tools like translation memory tools or uh, translation project management tools. Those have really grown tremendously in terms of sophistication and the kinds of things that we can do with it. Finally, uh, I would say that there is a huge revolution that we're seeing today in terms of the influence of AI and machine translation, right? that has really affected how people consume and a lot of companies produce translation interpretation and and ancillary services in our area so a lot of things i I covered lots of different things but but i see that 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 is the good summary of what i see as the major major uh events shaping our industry
1: Thanks, Louis, for for sharing that about your experience and about what you've seen in our industry. Um, I would like you to share your experience now and knowledge about a very specific subject today. That's something that uh, is dear to you, and I know this is an area of expertise as well. Can you talk about your current view of translation services for the healthcare insurance industry? Uh, Where things are? Can you give us a high-level uh, bird's eye view of this industry?
2: Sure. Um, well, as I mentioned before, our company page is uh, primarily working in the in the areas of supporting immigrants in the United States. That immigrants who don't speak English very well, and we work in primarily two areas: the state and local government, but also healthcare, healthcare insurance, yeah, and broadly, more broadly than that, also just supporting healthcare institutions that provide these services to uh, those to to people in the United States. It's a huge market. Um, If you look at uh, different estimates, about 20% of the economy is taken up in the United States by healthcare. And that is much larger than in many other economies. But it is because of the way that the, the, the industry is structured. And if you look at the value of how much money actually is spent directly on healthcare services, about a trillion dollars. With T, you know, trillion with a T, that's a thousand billion dollars. That's huge amounts of money. And there are, you know, the, the United States tends to see healthcare in ambivalent terms, right? On the one hand, we don't have a universal requirement for healthcare to be provided to everybody like you do in, in many other countries. Uh, but we also have Medicare, which is the healthcare system that provides it to all seniors. We have Medicaid, which is this the this, this service that provides it to people who are of limited resources. And we have also regulated it in in many different ways to make sure that those people that don't speak English well are also able to receive uh, healthcare services. So it's highly regulated in terms of requiring all kinds of services and that these services be provided in an in in a language or in a way that is understandable by the patients by the recipients and it's just huge 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 in terms of how what uh how much of the economy consumes uh
1: Lewis, you mentioned that this sector of or this uh, part of the industry is highly regulated uh, mm-hmm. you know because of so many reasons it's a situation of life and death in most scenarios and so forth the health care insurance industry has been inclusive and in the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare, as it's uh, well known, it contained requirements to ensure non-English speakers could understand everything about their health care insurance products. Now, how did that affect the language industry? How did things in terms of demand change for us?
2: Very good question, Sultan. Uh, the uh, Affordable Care Act, or uh, Obamacare, as you mentioned, opened really a, a large number of opportunities for immigrants to receive all kinds of services. I was glad to, to see it come into play. It actually has been really important for our company because we provide healthcare for our employees. And through the um, healthcare exchanges that the Affordable Care Act made possible, it has allowed us to, uh, to open up opportunities that we didn't have before. In terms of regulations, the opportunities that came through the Affordable Care Act, for example, I just mentioned the exchanges, made it so that they opened up a whole new marketplace, you know, whole new areas of demand. The actual regulations of the, of the ACA are not the ones that actually... Uh, affected us so much in because those regulations already existed before which are you know uh, more grounded on the, on the civil rights uh, uh, act that were passed in the in the 60s. So the the actual what, what happened with the ACA at least the way we see it is that it opened up the market it increased opportunities, increased the, the services, that are offered for example uh rather than just simply uh, translating a certain number of uh, small number of, of, of documents now it, it also expanded to the fact that you have to do it to the web for example uh, it also meant that when you make things uh, that are on the web you have to make it more accessible to people that don't have, uh, are not, not necessarily able to understand things or work within the computer. Um, it also increased the languages to which we have to be, uh, doing work in, for example, in translation or interpreting, because the Affordable Care Act, you, you opened up the system to many, many more millions of people, primarily people that were in the lower, uh, rungs of economics in our, in our society. By that also tends to be people that many of those are immigrants. And so the number of languages that, uh, institutions are translating or interpreting or making accessible increased tremendously. And then of course it opened up new territories, right? Meaning uh, that areas that in the past, like, let's say, uh, certain rural areas in California or some uh, states, like uh, that I'm just making this up somewhere in the middle of middle of, of, uh, of the country in Kansas that were not doing any interpreting or translation before, all of a sudden they had to they had the funds and they had the opportunity to provide services to populations that they didn't have before. And so that expanded the market in terms of the number of places that are now able to provide these services to their to their patients.
1: I understand, uh, Lewis, that the um, demand for translation work in, in the healthcare insurance space is on the rise, as you just mentioned. And as such, our industry has responded quite well. Your company is a very good example. My own company, for example, has developed processes and tools to address this specific market. What type of opportunities does this sector present to LSPs in general?
2: Uh, con- you know, this is similar to the to the to, to the question we just were, were talking about. So right. I think that there is a very large and growing demand. And on the other side, um, this means that this is a very competitive marketplace, right? Uh, your company is playing in this space. My company' is playing in this space we are uh, we, we are colleagues on the other hand, we're also competitors right sometimes right. We, we we bump against each other. Uh, another thing that happens is that the requirements and the specialization that uh, you need to have to be able to do a good job and be credible in this space have really increased so uh, I'll, I'll tell you, for for example, what our company has done to respond to this uh, large increased demand. Uh, we have uh, invested huge amounts of money in our development team for systems. So we have software that we are developing because our clients have increased demands and they need to get things sooner. They need to get them in a more convenient way than before, in much larger volumes than before. So we created something called a vent Portal, for example, to be able to help our clients to be able to access our services much faster, much more efficiently. Another thing that we have done to respond to this need is that we become more specialized, right? So our network of linguists, is now super focused on the healthcare arena and not only do they know huge amounts about medical terminology uh, they know the difference between a hematoma and uh, himalaya right you know uh, and they also have to know very much in detail how the insurance How the healthcare marketplace and insurance market works in the united states they need to understand even if they even if these people are from different countries they also need to understand that what medicaid is what medicare is even though they don't have it in their native countries for example uh another area where these things have really uh changed and we have had to respond is the fact that uh, infrastructure, you know, the, the technology infrastructure has had to really mature and become very, very much something that is very solid. Because these uh, healthcare institutions have very tough uh, regulatory requirements, they need to work with companies uh, that have, uh, you know, an infrastructure that guarantees, for example, that even if uh, there's an earthquake, which has happened to us, we've had earthquakes happen in our office in Mexico, that we're still able to keep working. We have an emergency response plan that allows us to keep working, so that there. Uh, patient uh, records that need to be translated uh, in from Chinese or from Armenian actually keep flowing and they're gonna get to the hospital on time so their physicians are able to see and understand what it is that they're facing with their clients. And another tough uh, issue that we've had to deal with is the fact that some of these regulations requires that all the work uh, needs to be done within the borders of the United States. That is something that uh, at the same time, they also want it to be done very, very cheap. And of course, you know, we, we both know the United States seems to be one of the most expensive countries to work in because, and then we've had lots of inflation so this has provided a huge challenge for us in the fact that we have to have our supply chain completely within the country, but at the same time, they want us to be able to charge the prices that companies who work in much lower cost countries are able to provide. So those are some, a lot of the challenges that we as, as uh, companies have to face. And how do we do it? well we develop relationships with the providers we give them lots of volume of work and we make sure that the process that we use is such that we're able to lower the cost through automation and through efficiencies so huge challenges sultan
1: Understood. Well, you answered my next question, Lewis. I was going to ask you about requirements for this sector, and you talked in great detail. So, let me ask you about uh, the demographics and the languages that are underrepresented, and where healthcare insurance can make a, a bigger difference uh, to reach, with regard with through translation. and And uh, what are your observations?
2: As as we mentioned before. You know, the, the one of the effects of the uh, Affordable Care Act and so on has been that healthcare has been able to be extended to to many more communities within the United States, right? And that may, has meant that languages of more limited diffusion, uh, like uh, Theriac or uh, some of the Mayan languages or native languages in, in Mexico or Quechua from uh, south america are in demand and a lot of these languages are very difficult to source as you may know um we observe that in different parts of the united states you have local populations that have different requirements we recently experienced huge migration from afghanistan right because of the uh withdrawal of the United States from from that from that war that created a huge demand for a number of of those languages like Pashto and uh, Urdu and so on. And we have been able to respond to that by essentially uh, having a to work within the United States immigrant communities again. We're not able to to bring this work outside of the United States. So we need to work with the, within the borders of the United States. So we have to be constantly reaching out to these communities of people that come. A lot of these languages don't have a good number of established uh, formal certifications, for example. So we work with, the, with our healthcare um, companies to make sure that they understand that even though some of the requirements that they say means that these translators or these interpreters need to be certified, that there really is no such thing as a certification for these languages. And so we've developed ways of self-certifying them through our own uh, institution and make sure that this is something that they validate and that they consider to be valid so in in other instances a lot of these languages uh don't have a good written uh language for example not, not 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 language but system uh a lot of these languages tend to be only oral and when you have to have a translation for example of uh some of the uh, make or Mayan dialects that 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 we encounter, whereas you know in reality, if you look at their their writing system, was was done in hieroglyphics. That's been a big challenge for us as well, and uh, our our uh, linguistic department, our, our provider network, has been very creative in 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 meeting some of those challenges.
0: This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human-in-the-loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit HybridLinks.com to learn more.
1: Let's talk about customers again in this space. Uh, Who are they? Are these insurance companies or third parties that work with healthcare insurance providers who are actually the buyers of translation services for this sector?
2: We we do quite a number of we see quite a number of local government agencies. That, for example, the um, Yellow County uh, Healthcare Authority, is one of them. Uh, So we see it at a lot of different uh, local and state uh, government levels in the in the United States. It starts from cities, goes to counties, and then. Uh, you, you, you can go all that up to the state level, that's where we operate. So, uh, there's regulatory uh, agencies and then there's uh, agencies that actually are in charge of uh, providing their services to the public. So, that's an area where our healthcare and government uh, sectors sort of intersect. When you have, uh, for example, the California Department of Managed Healthcare is one of those agencies. And then, the, as I mentioned, Yolo County, for example, Office of Mental Health is another one. We also have worked with City of San Francisco uh, quite a lot. So, state, local, and uh, even city, uh, you know, county-level governments. There's also um, local health plans. Uh, health plans here in the United States tend to be the, 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 the entities that provide the actual health insurance. So they're not going to be providing the actual services to the, uh, to, to people, but they actually provide the, uh, mechanism through which they get the services. They work with hospitals, they work with clinics, they work with the actual physicians. So. For example, in, in, in my company, AvantPage, we provide healthcare insurance to our employees. And normally that means that uh, we, we, we contract with health plans. And uh, these health plans can be with actual entities that provide the healthcare. For example, it could be Casa Permanente or it can be sort of Health. Those two actually have their own health plan and they also provide the actual services, but then there's also um, entities that are just like Blue Cross. uh, Or Health Net that are just the insurance agencies and then they also work with the actual providers. So health plans is one. Another one is uh, I mentioned hospital systems, right? Uh, Or healthcare systems. So I mentioned Sutter Health. Sutter Health has clinics, and they have hospitals, and they have individual physicians. That's their base here in, in Northern California. And they are the the ones that actually are providing the actual um, health care to patients. There's also all kinds of uh, supporting uh, infrastructure of companies, so there is Healthcare marketing companies that help these entities to actually reach their um, their client base to advertise their services or to let them know that there's something going on, like uh, it's open enrollment time. There's healthcare education uh, companies that help people educate their their patients so that they have better hygiene or better nutrition, things of that nature. And then there's also physician groups, groups of doctors that work individually, but they have like a way of association and they are actually seeing patients on a day in and day out basis. So all kinds of different levels of healthcare, um, um, institutions that work in this space.
1: So now, let's talk about since we are educating the industry, the 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 LSP side, what does the sales process and sales cycle for the sector look like without giving too much detail in terms of your own proprietary uh, things that exist. In, in general, how do you find it compared to other sectors?
2: Because we work exclusively in the healthcare area and and the government areas. It's hard for me to tell you how, you know, in detail, how different it is from other sectors. Right. But I'll tell you a little bit about how we see it uh, in within our, our, our area. Of course, government and uh, healthcare for us tend to be different. Government tends to be more driven by um, requests for proposals, requests for quotes, and so on that are pretty much driven by the procurement requirements that the government has. Many times those requirements have nothing to do with quality. They have more to do with price. When you're talking about the actual healthcare sector, um, the sales cycle tends to be quite long. Uh, It can be anywhere from six months to over a year Um, some of our clients we went to we recorded for two or three years before they actually became clients of ours um the kinds of uh ways that we actually approach uh selling to these entities is through relationships you know we we use Building that relationship is really critical there. They need to understand that we're specialized. That's really, really critical. They need to understand that we have a good track record. That is, that we also have a a number of other entities like them that, that we work for. They also need to make sure that we are compliant for them. That's really, really critical uh, because they are audited all the time by the government. And if they find that they're not uh, able to to comply with any of their main myriad of regulations, they tend to have pretty severe consequences. And um, once you establish that relationship and they they see okay, event page you know checks all these boxes, you still have to go through an actual competition through their procurement entities. So, uh, request for proposals. So, now these requests for proposals tend to be rather different from those that we that I mentioned to you before for government. Here you are actually uh competing in a non-public setting when you're doing with governments it's more public so all of the information that you provide is going to be actually seen by other companies you have more 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 information about what has happened in the past when you're dealing with a healthcare provider like let's say blue cross or blue shield or health net they are not subject to the same public records uh, that other entities in the government are, and so they are also able to use many many different criteria when they choose the actual uh, providers. So, price is one of the factors, but they're also maybe looking for a particular set of languages, or a certain capacity, or a you know a certain uh, variant of. Uh, of, of a language let's say they, have, they they are operating in in orange county and they have a large number of vietnamese immigrants but they are primarily from southern vietnam and so they would want uh, people that are not not the vietnamese interpreters or translators from today but from the old times that that came to the u.s at the same time as they did so you have all kinds of different requirements like that. Uh, and it is through those relationships that we have built over time, that uh, they have the trust and confidence to, to invite us and then to for us to move forward in those uh, request for proposal processes. And as I mentioned, just even the process of uh, a request for proposal can, can take uh, several months. it's it's you have to be very patient so it's a a long game and you have to have a lot of credibility if you if you don't already play in this sector uh before you actually go into one of these uh, competitive situations it's going to be really tough for you to actually be considered and to, to be able to do well
1: of course, the key there is uh, patience, and obviously, um, you know, uh, this specific sector, healthcare in general, moves very slow. Louis, uh, let me ask you about two things here. Uh, one, about the type of content that this sector generates that requires translation. And secondly, what type of uh, translators are best suited? You alluded to this earlier, but what type of linguists are best suited to operate in this space?
2: Great question, Sultan. Um let me, let me tackle the translator, the, the kind of linguists that, that do really well. Um, when we evaluate linguists, we look for a, a large number of characteristics. Uh, uh, you know, they have, of course, to have to uh, take some kind of linguistic exams with us. So they have to make sure, we we make sure that they understand that they are really high quality in terms of the linguistics, right? In terms of the the quality of work that they produce. We also make sure that they're very familiar with the terminology of the industry. So we quiz them on, do they they understand what Medicare is, what Medicaid is, uh, what open enrollment is, things like that. so, so they need to be very familiar with, with the industry. They also need to be very much uh, resident in the United States, which is, uh, I mentioned that before. Uh, they also need to be very familiar with the tools that we use. Uh, I mentioned before uh, machine translation, I also mentioned comp- CAT computer-aided translation tools. In our industry, because of regulations, machine translation is not accepted for the most part it's banned uh, it's it's this this is something that happened way back in the f- 60s 70s eighties when uh, machine translation was in its infancy and the quality was very poor and some companies use machine translation and it was been so poor that uh, there were some laws and regulations that said no this is completely unacceptable and some of these have not been updated to reflect uh, the fact that today uh, things are different so uh we need to make sure that the people that are working with us are going to be able to work within the context of a tep as you will know translation editing, and proofing so three steps all done by different humans so that they can work within a team, uh, that they also know how to work within the the tools that we have, and that they're super responsive, uh, because a lot of these the work that this entity is requiring needs to be done very, very quickly. So, for example, today we we have a requirement that we get uh, hundreds of letters, on a daily basis that have to be not only translated, but actually mailed back to the patients or or health plan member the same day that we get them. So it's really tough and we need to make sure that the, the translators, the linguists, or the editors are all super responsive.
1: Uh, uh, Luis, let me ask you, uh, while we're talking about that, about uh, standards and regulations in this space. What are those that LSPs should know and pay attention to? For example, um, given that there is uh, a lot of um, privacy and healthcare data in this content, uh, are LSPs required to remove them? Uh, What safeguards do they need to have in place? So how do they actually play safe in, in this space?
2: You're absolutely correct, Sultan. Uh, we are uh, subject to a large number of regulations that safeguard patient uh, information, and you know confidentiality is critical. Okay. Um, we are subject to you know, a lot of compliance programs, and that includes standards of conduct. Uh, adoption implementation of those. Uh, general compliance uh, is really critical, including HIPAA, which is uh, the health
1: in sh-
2: health in
1: health information persona. protection,
2: uh, right? And uh, Protection and Accessibility Act. Yes, right. yes, yes. That deals with privacy and security. We have to make sure that we are also in compliance with FRED, fraud, waste, and abuse regulations. All of our employees have to do training in this area. We have to make sure that we do implement and distribute compliance program policies. Uh, we need to make sure that we do regulatory exclusion monitoring so that we have developed a system that we call the Avant Shield, for example. This Event Shield, what it does is it makes sure that If there's any um, information in the text that we're given that is private, let's say a name or age or place of birth or date, we black it out. Essentially, we take it out of the translation stream workflow, and then we train our people so that they're able to do the translation without having to see all of that, lack that information. This protects the privacy of the patients, uh, of the members, and ensures that all of the regulations are followed. And then this Advanced Shield software, once the translation is finished, puts that information back in the target language. So that it makes perfect sense in, compl- in 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 the context of the actual translation. So, uh, I'm not giving you the specifics. There's tons of different regulations, but essentially, we are subject to something called a downstream downstream entities regulations. So that if our health plan is required to comply with, let's say HIPAA uh they make sure that a lot of the work that is done by their subcontractors in this case van page that these entities also are required we, we consider to be a downstream entity in the workflow that we comply with all of those same requirements and then we are required to have to pass these requirements on to the individual entities that we work with so it's a, it's a chain of compliance that we are required not only to fulfill those requirements ourselves, but actually to make sure that all of the entities that we work with also comply with those requirements.
1: Uh, Louis, while we're still talking about standards, regulation, and compliance, do clients in healthcare insurance space require audits from their LSP partners? You mentioned this earlier that there are government audits, but do insurance firms themselves also go through an audit. Please provide a sense of what that includes and looks like.
2: Yes, the answer is definitely yes. Uh, We are constantly audited by our healthcare partners and it's very tough. This is partly why I was telling you before that if you don't have all the infrastructure and all all of the processes and procedures in place, It's going to be very difficult for a a company to to actually get a contract in this space. So um, these audits are done periodically, uh, sometimes every year, uh, sometimes every two or three years, depends on the partner that we work with. And they look at everything that we have from our technological infrastructure, so that let's say that our information technology is, uh, has done high trust certification or that we do penetration tests on a yearly basis. And penetration tests, pen tests, essentially is when you pay somebody to try to infiltrate your systems from, 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 the, from outside to see how secure your system is. Uh, They also look at our processes and procedures. Do we actually have processes in place that ensure that the people that are saying that they sign and that they're actually complying with this actually show that they are doing it? Do our employees, have they actually been trained in uh, all of these uh, uh, waste program abuse, for example, prevention? Do we actually shield the the information that our our clients provide to us that is actually private? So they look very deeply at what we do, how we do it, when we do it. Do we actually protect information from being shipped out of the United States? Uh, Do we actually work with linguists that are certified whenever we when that is available let's say through the american trade association or through uh, our own uh, internal certification processes for those languages that are not um, don't have an, an ata certified uh, examination so yes those are very tough audits we spend a lot of time we spend a lot of effort in making sure that we comply and then we have Dedicated team of people inside the company that actually make sure that we answer to to these audits and that uh, we comply with all the responses. It's 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 a lot of it's a lot of work internally, Sultan, as you well know.
1: Uh, Louis, I think that there is an element of seasonality to to work from this sector as well. Uh, I would like to hear from you in terms of uh, some insights into what drives translation work in in this space.
2: You know, there is a number, there is some seasonality to things, but in reality, uh, the great majority of the work that we get tends to be very constant and very consistent, Fulton. So I just mentioned to you the fact that we deal with hundreds of letters every day that has to be uh, translated and mailed the same day to the patients. That happens day in and day out, Monday through Friday, uh, regardless of the season. Uh, There are some seasonal elements like, uh, for example, when uh, the the enrollment periods come, uh, which tends to be the fall, the winter. And there is some work that is done at that time to update the contracts, to update the actual reaching uh, campaigns to reach out to to customers. But the great majority of work tends to be very consistent. And it is, at least in our case, consists of smaller documents or discrete phone calls that uh, are tend to be short in length, but required to be done with high precision, and that they need to be moved very, very quickly. Uh, so medical records, for example, as I mentioned before, letters that are sent from customers to the health plans, and then from the health plans, the response to the, to the customer, um, the, uh, the the actual phone calls between uh, the physicians and the patients. So that tends to be the great majority of the work that we deal with, as opposed to the seasonal variations uh, um, that you see in the industry.
1: Zooming out, uh, Lewis, how big is the space? You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation that it's a growing space. What kind of branches do you see emanating from healthcare insurance sector that may drive more translation work for our industry?
2: Well, actually, as I mentioned before, um, it is uh, healthcare tends to be one of the top four sectors in in our industry. If you look at NIMSI reports, the 22 uh, market report shows that it's uh, number four in terms of how many companies are actually working in that space. I mentioned also that uh, it to up about 20% of the actual uh, touches, about 20% of the actual economy in the United States, with over a trillion dollars actually spent in healthcare. So it's huge. It's also it's also growing. What kind of branches do I see? Um, Well, uh, there's a lot of work that has been doing these days in telehealth, right? Um, Because of the pandemic, um, a lot of the actual uh, interactions between patients and doctors or nurses has been done through the web. So a lot more there's been a huge growth in the area of remote interpreting. Uh, there's also been a lot a lot of growth in the area of actual information that is provided through the web uh, and electronically to patients. Um, there's also quite a bit of um, work that has been done that uh, requires uh, accessibility so by accessibility this is something that uh when you are not able to uh to read very well because you're visually impaired for example things have to be spoken to you but normally what what happens is that this has been done in english only so now we have to make sure that accessibility includes that the spoken uh words that that you have when you're navigating a website is also in the uh, patient's language, for example. So, it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of work that's been opening up. There's a quite a bit of work having to do with uh, medical edu- with healthcare education, as well, uh, and more and more education is being provided online. So. Uh, you see you have companies like let's say uh better health you have companies like uh, babylon health that are providing apps to people that allow them to access their medical records that allow them to monitor their heart rate that to provide them with nutrition information all kinds of things like that that are now being done electronically and that has opened up quite a bit of opportunity in that space for companies that are beyond the traditional of uh, intake forms or um, you know contracts between patient and provider and so on it's a It's a rich sector and growing and growing
1: um, uh, luis I was going to ask you to look into your crystal ball and uh, tell me, how do you see the sector evolving in the next two to five years? If we are looking at LSPs, how should they prepare for changes that you foresee coming in the healthcare insurance sector?
2: Uh, that's a really good question. It's hard to, to have a, a um, you know, uh, to be able to, to predict the future. Uh, Yogi Berra said, "It's really hard to to predict, especially the future." Right. <laughs> 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 um, on the other hand, I think you can see several trends. You know, the healthcare space tends to be not super high tech. Uh, they tend to be conservative organizations. They also tend to be organizations that have a good understanding of the linguistic uh, needs and the regulatory requirements, but they're not as highly automated or as you know super high-tech as you will find when you're dealing with companies like Google or Apple or things like that. Um, that is an area where I don't see them that they're going to be growing. They're going to be changing quite so much that it's going to continue to be that they're looking for solid providers Uh, with solid processes and procedures, but they're not going to be looking for, you know, uh, the the latest and greatest AI, uh, neural machine translation uh, software. Uh, They also, as I mentioned before, they're driven by regulation in many cases, and that regulation changes slowly. I don't foresee that the the TEP, model that we've been using is going to change quite a bit on the other hand i see it growing continue to grow in terms of the fact that uh, we still have about 20 million people in the united states that are do, do not have uh don't, don't have good health care insurance i see that could, that 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 part of society will continue to to be catered to I see Uh, I do see that the provision of telehealth services is going to continue to increase Uh, the help that we get from. uh, Our watch, you know, uh, electronic watches uh, from apps that we have on our telephones and so on will continue to increase. So I just see that. um, the traditional uh, part of the industry that uh, we've been working with is going to be there, it's going to continue to grow, but there's going to be new new areas that have to do with the evolution of the technology and the way that um, that technology has been able to reach into our daily lives, day in and day out, to reach patients.
1: Thank you, Louis. As we reach the end of this interview, can you, uh, can you please share a few words of advice to LSP executives thinking about branching out to this space? I, I know you shared a lot of advice here, but what would be your ultimate advice?
2: I think that the most important thing is that uh, you really learn what the regulations are and make sure that you have the infrastructure in place to comply with all those regulations, uh, that I think would be the most important piece of advice. I think it's a it's a good sector to be looking into, but don't just uh, try to go in and and think that you're going to be able to do it from between, you know, from one day to the next. It's a process that takes years of um, patient work to get into. I'll give you an example in our own um, space um even though we've been working in the healthcare arena for a number of years uh the telehealth sector opened up uh, dramatically during the pandemic and we were not quite ready at the time to take advantage of the fact that uh, a lot of the care were now was now being provided remotely and we have not been able to capitalize on these opportunities as much as we would be able to do because we were just not ready with our systems and our processes. And um, we are investing in it. We are now catching up, but it just takes a lot of infrastructure, a lot of foresight to be looking into the future to, to, to be able to, to provide the services in this space, certainly.
1: Um, And that was an amazing interview with one of my colleagues and someone I respect a lot in our industry for his knowledge and experience. Louis, this opened up my eyes and uh, how the sector of regulated industries uh, operate with regards to translation. And I'm hoping we can talk about this subject more uh, in future episodes. So with that, I want to express my gratitude to you for sharing your experience and perspective. And thank you for your time.
2: Thank you, Sultan. It's a pleasure. You are a very knowledgeable person as well, and you are uh, somebody whom I admire as well. I learned from you, and it's always been a pleasure to work with you, to encounter you as a a colleague and a competitor. And I hope that uh, both you and Avant Page can thrive together in this space. It's a wonderful thing. We are committed to helping others, and ultimately, I think that is uh, the most important thing that we do. We provide a service that is useful to society. It's a service that is useful to uh, the immigrants. People don't speak English well and yet are able to participate fully in uh, the riches of our society and to be able to contribute fully through the language services that we provide. So thank you, Sultan.
1: I appreciate that. Thanks again, Louis. Uh, I'm so happy we've talked because you and I, we share quite a few things in terms of values. We both uh, are determined to improve quality of life through language, whether it's the quality of life of our beneficiaries, the end users of translation, or the translators in the US or outside uh, the United States and the people who work within this industry. So I'm very happy we had this conversation. Again, Louis, thank you so much, and I wish you a wonderful day. Thank you, Sultan. Same to you. We heard from Lewis about how the healthcare insurance industry consumes translation service products. This is a constantly evolving space. Healthcare in general is a very sensitive industry and translation has always supported this industry to fill the gap in communication barriers to deliver better care and service. Recently I spoke with Duncan Shaw, president of DTS Language Services, about clinical trials and how translation is a critical aspect of research in this space. As he pointed out. Regulations continue to be defined and the need for compliance and equality is paramount. If you are an LSP trying to expand into this space, your mindset should be focused on creating services that are absolutely focused on accuracy. It will come with a cost, investment and infrastructure and the right type of competence is very critical and patience is key because healthcare moves very slow. Be patient and do the right thing, everything else will fall in place. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you were able to find a couple takeaways from this conversation that you could go back and apply to your business. Improving your translation business is the main goal of this podcast and we are constantly meeting that goal from what I hear. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and other platforms. Make sure to give this episode a five-star rating. Until next time.
0: Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.